Welcome to the Nigel Lee Archive, brought to you by Living Leadership, where every fortnight we share with you a sermon from the late Nigel Lee to encourage you in your walk with the Lord. Here's today's message. Now the title given to me this morning, Can We Get By Without the Bible? There was a dad who came home from work once and he was, he was very tired. He was exhausted Friday night, had a heavy week, and he was met by his um, late teenage son who said, Dad, I've got some bad news for you, I'm afraid. And the dad said, I don't want it. I don't want any bad news. I've had a terrible day at the office. Just keep it to yourself, please. A little bit later, the son tried again, said, Dad, I feel I really ought to tell you the bad news. Uh, It's quite serious. And the father said, look, I, I told you, I don't want any bad news tonight. Save it until I've recovered. And the son thought for a bit longer and then said, Dad, I've got some good news for you. The um, airbag on our new Volvo really works. (laughs) (laughs) There's more than one way of of telling people things. And um, someone, after last week, offered the constructive uh, suggestion that I use um, more overhead uh, projection things when I speak. So I'm trying. You may wish uh, by the time we finish that he'd shut up. But um, anyway, I've managed to write the title up. That's the first start. Um, what we're looking at, this is the menu for, for this Sunday. This isn't. Can you read? Three truths about Scripture, three practical applications, and then one conclusion. This is, as has been said, the second in a series of four in which we're, we're looking at what is the Bible to us And how can we, how should we approach it? Last time we were looking at Paul's second letter to Timothy, and I'm going to go back to the same passage. So if you'd like to turn to Timothy chapter 3, regulars know that if they would like a Bible, haven't brought one, what they do right now is simply put up their hand and those circulating will bring you a copy. You want a copy of the Bible? The passage that we're looking at, it's in 2 Timothy Chapter 3, it may be of interest to you to know that in my Bible, it's page 1381, but I doubt if it's the same in yours. 2 Timothy chapter 3, we read the whole chapter last time. This time, we're going to look just again at verses 10 to 17. 10 to 17. Second letter to Timothy chapter 3. Paul writing says, You, however, you, Timothy, you know all about my teaching, my way of life, my purpose, faith, patience, love, endurance, persecutions, sufferings, what kinds of things happened to me in Antioch, Iconium, and Lystra, the persecutions I endured. Yet the Lord rescued me from all of them. In fact, Everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted, while evil men and impostors will go from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. But as for you, Timothy, continue in what you have learned and have become convinced of, because you know those from whom you learnt it. How from infancy you have known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation, Through faith in Christ Jesus, all Scripture, the whole of the Bible, is God-breathed 
and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. And as we read last time, the chapter went something like this. In the first nine verses, Paul paints a a picture of some of the marks of the whole period of human history from the day that Jesus Christ ascended back to heaven until the day when he will return back to earth again. A picture of selfishness and pride, of hedonism, subjectivism, and so on. We skimmed through that. Then from verses 10 to 13, Paul talks about his own personal example, battling it out in his, in his ministry, in seeking to serve God according to his calling. And then verses 14 to 17, his charge to Timothy, in the light of all this, to be a, a Bible man. And what we're going to do is go back to verses 15 to 17. From infancy, you've known the Holy Scriptures. They are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All Scripture is God-breathed, is useful, so that the man of God may be thoroughly, completely equipped for every good work. You don't mind, do you? If I remind you of some of the things that we said even only last week, perhaps, perhaps this week you've all changed so profoundly. Perhaps you all took it so much to heart that you are utterly different characters because it is not hearers of God's word that God is looking for, but doers. I suspect we have a tendency to forget. I heard recently of an Oxford professor, I think he was, who when he got up in the morning and was about to go to work, his wife said, now look, dear, you do remember, don't you? We are moving house today. I will attend to it. It's all arranged, but we are moving house today. Please, tonight, don't come home to the same house because we won't be here. And the man went off and he got so immersed in his ancient history and whatever it was and uh, totally forgot. Came back at night to his own house and it was empty. He couldn't understand it. Every single stick of furniture was gone. There wasn't a soul around. He said to a little boy that was standing there in the street, Excuse me, he said, Could you tell me where the people who lived in this house have gone to? Yes, Dad, said the boy. Mum sent me to get you. (laughs) (laughs) Paul is stating three things um, about Scripture. The first is that Scripture is God-breathed. God-breathed. God speaking out his mind and his heart to us. He has breathed into this word, the Bible, just as we breathe out when we speak our words. This is God's account, his understanding of events in our history and so on. So Augustine said, what Scripture says, God says. And the Scriptures continue to say now what God wants to say to us now. Let me read to you from John Stott's, uh, or a book of, of the collected writings of, of that great teacher and preacher. When once we have grasped the truth that God still speaks through what he has spoken, we shall be well protected against two opposite errors. 
The first is the belief that though it was heard in ancient times, God's voice is silent today. The second is the claim that God is indeed speaking today, but that his word has little or nothing to do with scripture. The first leads to Christian antiquarianism, the second to Christian existentialism. If you know John Stott, that's a classic sort of sentence of his. Safety and truth are found in the related convictions that God has spoken, that God speaks, and that his two messages are closely connected to one another because it is through what he spoke that he speaks. He makes his word living, contemporary, relevant, until we find ourselves back on the Emmaus road with Christ himself expounding the scriptures to us and with our hearts on fire. Another way of putting the same truth is to say that we must keep the word of God and the spirit of God together. For apart from the spirit, the word is dead, while apart from the word, the spirit is alien. Scripture is living. It is never merely information. It is always a summons to respond, to repent, to, to believe, to imitate in some way or to obey. Secondly, the scriptures tell us all we need to know about salvation. You can see that in verse 15. Or as verse 16 puts it, we can be taught, trained, and ticked off. That's, that's a Nigel Lee three-point sermon on verse 16. Taught, trained, or ticked off if necessary because of who it is that's speaking, able to make you wise for salvation and the ongoing process of that. And then, thirdly, Scripture gives you all you need to be thoroughly equipped in order to please God. Now, that is a huge claim, and that's what we want to concentrate on this morning. You don't need anything else to equip you to do the job that God has given you to do. If you allow Scripture to equip you and direct you, nothing further is required. Now, that's the real point of this long passage in 2 Timothy 3. Paul is not saying, Oh, well, Timothy, there will be harsh times in the last days. Many will let you down. People will drift away from the truth. But don't worry, Tim. Scripture's inspired. And that's true, but that's not enough. What he's saying is that as you face the big challenges, the hostile environment, you don't always know what to do. It is the living Word of God now, God now speaking through Scripture, that will equip you and train you if you let it. This doesn't mean to say that the Bible tells us everything that we may want to know. That isn't claimed here. But everything that we need to know in order to accomplish the good works that God would wish of us. I'll come back to that later. This doctrine that, that we may call the sufficiency of Scripture, to give it its classical name, has always been denied and from two ends of, of the Christian church. There are those on the one hand who elevate the teaching and traditions of the church to equal the Bible. They hold that uh, the Bible alone is not sufficient to illuminate or direct people, that church traditions or current priests are also necessary. And some large sections of, of at least Christendom believe that, although, of course, they disagree among themselves as to what those vital traditions are. And then there are others, on the other hand, who elevate new revelations of their own 
to supplement or supersede the Bible. They don't undermine Scripture by elevating popes or, or early church fathers. They undermine Scripture by elevating themselves. The cults do this. Like the Mormons, for instance. But then so do sections of the very charismatic wing of, of our now evangelical church. And you can finish up, unless you're careful, and you, as you could in the first century, overly dependent on the new and latest revelation of, of the prophets or the instructions of the shepherds. Steered away gradually from God's living, saving word. The New Testament itself, even in its closing books, when the foundation of the apostles whom Jesus had commissioned, those foundational apostles, when they were almost all gone, the New Testament gives no encouragement to look for or expect new revelations or new truth or new apostles in that foundational sense. 2 Timothy 1 verse 13 says, What you heard from me, Timothy, that's what you stick to. In 2 Timothy 2, 2, the things you heard me say, that's what you pass on. Jude verse 3, fight, says Jude, the half-brother of Jesus. Fight to maintain the faith that was once for all entrusted to the saints. There are lots of warnings about false prophets claiming to be in possession of the latest update from God. But the constant assumption of Scripture is that the revelation that we need has already been passed on. The idea has gained ground that God still inspires individuals today in exactly the same way as he inspired the apostles, so that now we receive verbal messages that are just as sure, just as authoritative, just as binding, just as awesome. It is not true. And Paul is here warning Timothy and us against exactly that. God speaks, yes. God makes known his his ways and his will and his character. But nowadays, only through affirming in some way what he has already said, because that is sufficient. Now, what are the practical implications for us of this doctrine of, of the sufficiency of Scripture, that God speaks today through his word just as much as when it was first written, and that God can speak today into every diverse culture Bible goes around the world and becomes immediately a bestseller in culture after culture, even though it was written originally into that Near Eastern Mediterranean culture. Because this is what is being claimed. Scripture is God-breathed. Scripture is able to make the man or woman of God thoroughly equipped for every good work. I want to draw out three um, applications of this. Obviously, the first is an encouragement to read and uh, think and obey. It has the answers that we need if we will search it out. That is its claim for itself, and that is the experience of thousands around the world. And what about the questions that the Bible has no answer to? I mean, should we kneel or sit or stand to pray? And how would you decide? Or should we marry? Or should we let children who are under 12 stay up past 9 o'clock to watch television? What does the Bible say about that? Not a lot. 
Or are there certain kinds of contraceptive which are not appropriate for Christians to use? Or are any? What shall we think about it? Does the Bible say anything about these kind of things? How do we cope with those kind of questions in our life? Where nothing is said. Where nothing is said, we conclude that God hasn't required us to think or act in a certain way. It's up to us to exercise our own wisdom and judgment and discernment and probably learn by our own mistakes and to be grown up and to accept difference, to do what seems right to us. We should ponder and chew and meditate, wash ourselves in this all the time. Second implication or application, we should add nothing to Scripture and hold nothing equal to it. You've probably, all of you, had Mormons on the doorstep. They start by quoting the Bible. And then before long, you're off into the Book of Mormon, to which they give equal or even uh, greater value. They've added new revelation on top. And a strong grasp of the reasons for this Christian doctrine will actually help you on the doorstep on Monday and Tuesday and so on. This isn't just theology that's sort of locked away for Sunday. These things are vital for our survival in the tussles and battles of normal life. There are people that uh, in churches can assert with great confidence their new ideas that this or that is going to happen. Revival is going to come by such and such a time, or a healing is going to come in certain person's life, or there are going to be changes in the weather pattern, or all, all stuff, and claims that God's authority lies behind those claims. It sometimes seems to me that God takes delight in, in pulling the rug from under some of these uh, great claims. Scripture urges us to seek the contemporary expressions of God's mind and character applied to the now situation. Seek prophecy. Don't despise it. Bible is very clear. But these now today utterances do not have the same inspiration or authority as the Word of God. We, we, they may be from God, they may not be. We take them lightly. We're allowed to disagree about them. We know from our own experience, don't we? Sometimes we can get strong hunches or spiritual impressions about things to do or the way to go, someone to phone, that kind of stuff. But we're not always right. We don't say, well, because God said that to me, that is therefore uh, at the same level as the Scripture. I think some of these hunches and impressions are particularly useful if they remind us <laughs> actually of Scripture. I remember a time in my life, some many years ago, when I was in the midst of, of some difficulties in personal relationship with a number of colleagues. This is a long time back. And it was as if I had a strong direction to a particular verse of Scripture, which actually comes in the previous chapter to the one we're thinking about, which says this, the Lord's servant must not quarrel. Instead, he must be kind to everyone, able to teach, not resentful. It cut through uh, what was going on in my wicked old heart and mind. It was as if God just 
that fired that bullet of scripture into me. It came with prophetic force and power, and I was very grateful. But it was God using his word to apply to a situation in the 1980s in this country, even though it was written hundreds of years ago uh, into a different situation altogether. Third application, we are not required to believe anything about God or his ways that can't be plainly seen in Scripture, no matter who says it. An elder or an ex-elder or some evangelical superstar. I mean, supposing, just imagine, supposing an angel visited Kim Hubbard one day and said that uh, he wished to preach uh, at Saltisford. Oh, dear. Well, uh, let's clear the diary. Um, who's on next week? Ken. Well, really, Ken. Uh, let's have an angel instead of Ken. Um, and uh, get the angel up to speak. The angel has come and visited Kim and said that he has a special word for Saltisford Evangelical Church, so let's get him on. And the angel gets up and starts to speak. Now, after a bit, you're sitting there thinking, I'm not sure that this is uh, true. What the angel is saying appears to be contrary to the gospel and contrary to the scriptures. Would you stop him? Would Kim stop him? Or any ex-elders stop him? Paul says in Galatians chapter 1 that if even an angel came and stood up and began to speak that which is contrary to the gospel, he is to be cursed. God doesn't require us to believe things which we cannot simultaneously see endorsed in Scripture. Sometimes people publish books claiming to, that God has given them revelation for the benefit of the church. However we evaluate those books, interesting publishers make loads of money out of them, we must never place those books on a par with Scripture. We must insist that God doesn't require us to believe that stuff necessarily for salvation, and we must reject any moral imperatives that come from these sources that are not equally plain in Scripture. The Word of God is your anchor. Take the question of guidance, for instance. Come back to that. Sometimes it seems to me that people spend countless hours seeking for an indication of God's will outside of the Bible. They want guidance often through um, coincidences or through um, strong hunches or through accidents or guidance through what some strong person says. I can remember years ago being in a missions conference down in Exeter, I think it was. And at the end of the meeting, a young woman came up to me and, and asked a question. I can't now even remember what the question was. But I know that I mentioned within the first sentence or two the country of Poland in the course of my answer. And her eyes immediately began to sort of glaze over and, and, and she began to breathe quicker and, and I thought, what's going on? Apparently what had been happening was that the Lord had been touching her um, mind about the possibility of going and serving him in Poland. But instead of coming uh, in a straightforward way and saying, I'm thinking perhaps the Lord is prompting me to go to Poland. Are there any opportunities? What's the situation there? She tried to manipulate the situation so that if I accidentally mentioned Poland in the first sentence or two, that would be taken as guidance. What a bizarre way of going on. Supposing I'd offered her a Brazil nut or something. 
God doesn't seek to just bypass our, our minds and operate like that as, as if we were children. Whether she went to Poland or not, I have no idea. Because the problem with guidance by coincidences like that is that later on that evening you think, well, it was perhaps just a coincidence. Maybe there was nothing in it. Far better, surely, as growing up Christians <laughs> is to be constantly reading, pondering, meditating on the Scriptures, searching the Scriptures to get to know the mind of God, and then do what seems best in the circumstances in accordance with whatever we know of his principles and his character and his mind and have sincere joy in his presence doing that. I mean, what about those questions where the Bible says nothing? Should you buy a new car? Or should you buy a new house? Or should you try for that new job? The Bible isn't going to say anything to you. And no good reading the story of the man who built the house on the sand and it all fell down and thinking, oh, well, God's... You know, what a bizarre way to take the Scriptures. I think God can't be planning me to move to the new house because I just read this morning about one that fell down. As you let Scripture wash over your mind, you think of the general principles from God, of the use of our money, of our giving, of our fellowship with the rest of the body of Christ, and how any plan we may have might affect them or serve them. We want to have a clean conscience. We want to die to pride. These things are clear in the Word of God. And then we just do what seems best. Paul is telling Timothy that Scripture handled like that in a growing up sensible way is sufficient to equip you for every good work that God wants you to do. And this is a huge relief. You can be normal. You can have liberty and joy instead of, a, I'm afraid sometimes happens, people get completely screwed up. The scriptures are not like an old promise box. You know, years ago, did you ever have one of these things? One or two people remember them. They had little, little tubes of paper on which were written certain selected promises of scripture. It was kind of like another, another way of doing daily light. And people used to get up in the morning and have a pair of tweezers. And they'd close their eyes and they'd, they'd dip. And they'd pull out one of these little scrolls of paper, almost like from the inside of a cracker, and open it, and then take their guidance um, for the day from whatever that little bit of um, selected scripture said. Well, I suppose it's better than relying on these little... Uh, exhortations that you get at the bottom pages of some people's diaries and so on. It is at least scripture. But what a juvenile way to carry on with God's word, considering the way he has written it for our learning. Scripture encourages us to get to know God, know God to have liberty and responsibility and freedom and choice in line with what we are getting to know of his character. I'm learning. Encourage me. This situation pictured in uh, 2 Timothy 3 is remarkable when you think about it. Paul is in prison. He is about to be put to death. He says in chapter 4, verse 6, my time is up. Basically, I'm being called in. 
Much of his church planting work that has occupied the previous 20 or 30 years is collapsing. He says in 2 Timothy 1, 15, You know, he says, everyone in the province of Asia has deserted me. Including then, he mentions some of his previous friends and co-workers, Phygelus and Hermogenes. In chapter 4, he mentions another one, Demas, that had forsaken him. In chapter 4, verses uh, 3 and 4, he predicts that the situation will actually get worse after his death. The time will come when men will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers just to say what their itching ears want to hear, and they will turn their ears away from the truth and turn aside to myths. Now, what is he going to urge Timothy to do in those circumstances where everything is disintegrated? Stick to the same methods, he says, that I've used. Imitate me in every way. Keep teaching the scriptures because the word of God does the work of God. That's what he says in, in chapter 1, verses 13. 14, what you heard from me, keep as the pattern of sound teaching with faith and love in Christ Jesus. Guard the good deposit that was entrusted to you. Guard it with the help of the Holy Spirit who lives in us. This is absolutely astonishing. My ministry, he says, seems to be a complete failure. Whatever you do, walk in the same steps as me. Here we are, humanly speaking, Christianity is on the verge of extinction. Persecution and trouble about to break on the heads of those early Christians. And what is Paul trusting in as he faces his own execution outside Rome? The sufficiency of the God who has spoken in his living word. You look around the world you know. You consider the growth of the church, penetrating culture after culture, the stories pouring back in from Africa, from China, from South America, Korea, they say something now, approaching 50% of the entire population of Korea are now so-called born-again believers. You can't say that Paul has been exactly wrong, can you? God has done it through his word. And in our own circumstances, when the storms of pressure and difficulty, maybe not threats to our life, but threats to many other things in our home and our relationships about to break upon us. It is the God of the Bible who can speak and bring us through. Finally, what happens if we believe all this? We know it's true historically. We know God has spoken this way. We know he has proved his word in countless situations like this. What happens if we know all this and still Neglect his word in practice. Don't make space in our lives. What then? Well, what will Scripture teach us about what then? The testimony is clear. We begin to face defeat by our enemies and starvation in our souls and loss of joy and lack of discernment and so on. So next week, we shall be thinking together about how to enjoy the Bible. Let's pray. God, our Father, we do thank you again for your patience, and we pray that we might be 
taught to encourage one another. There may spring up little links amongst friendship clusters within this congregation where we can keep each other going in this business of feeding on your word and proving it to be sufficient when we feel under the cosh, when we feel maybe dry. Lord, may we know this experiment, this experience in reality of your word being proved in all it claims to do. May we find, O oh God, that your chosen methods are best and that you know well how to equip us for the good work that faces us, that we may bring pleasure to your heart and blessing to others in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for joining us today. The Nigel Lee Archive is brought to you as a podcast by Living Leadership. For more information on the Nigel Lee Archive or Living Leadership's other ministries, please visit www.livingleadership.org. God bless.